Hello and welcome to the season two premiere of the CBD Deep Dive. Thanks for being with us. As always, sponsored by Six Degrees Wellness. I am your host, Dr. Johnny Lasano. If this is your first time listening in, welcome. And if you're a seasoned veteran, thank you for tuning back in. We have a great episode in store for you this week. I'll be sitting down with my friend and colleague, Jacob Kaselik. He is a third year sport and exercise science PhD student at the University of Northern Colorado. His major research focus at UNC covers cannabis and immune function in physically active individuals. He has previously assisted me with research exploring the monocyte phenotype and immune function of physically active individuals who have been chronically using cannabis products. Now he is focusing more on the effects of CBD, and as you'll hear later, we will be discussing his dissertation project in which he will be administering purified CBD to physically active individuals and then monitoring basic parameters of health while also assessing the effects of CBD on a specific type of immune cell called natural killer cells. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Here with Jacob Kaselik. I pronounced that right, correct? Yep, got um, it right. You are a third year PhD student at University of Northern Colorado, the yep. other UNC, as yeah. we kind of like to refer to ourselves. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's actually my alma mater. That's where I did my PhD at. Jake actually works in the same lab that I used to work in. That's how we kind of met and became acquaintances. But uh, before we kind of dive in more to what you're doing currently I want to kind of give them a little teaser of like where you where you've been where you've come from that kind of sort of thing so what like where, where'd you do your undergrad at? yeah uh, so I did my undergrad at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse and my undergrad was in exercise science uh, with a minor in nutrition and my main focus there was um, other than the general undergrad things. Um, my main like research focus was yeah. looking at resting energy expenditure, specifically the equations of resting energy okay. expenditure to see like which ones are most accurate in different populations. So we did some with the like obese female population, um, athlete female population, so like soccer players and swimmers and things like that. And we use just RER, RMR, like testing okay. on the parvocart to look at um, the accuracy behind the equations based on what their actual RMRs were okay. uh, recorded as. So. And for those who aren't aware, how would you kind of very basically describe like RER and RMR? Yeah, so uh, resting metabolic rate um, just basically is about 60%. 60 to 70%, I'm not 100% sure on the percentage on that, but of general like caloric expenditure. So if you laid in bed all day, you would burn, your RER would be how many calories your body burns just to sustain life, basically. Yeah. And so for someone that, let's say, you know, average, you know, 25-year-old male or something like that, probably mm-hmm. around, what, like 1,600 calories? 1,600, yeah. Depending on fitness level and right. composition. And exactly. Whatnot. And that's another thing we we're kind of looking at where some equations might not look 100% at, like, skeletal muscle mass or lean mass and things like that, which 
raise, uh, they're resting metabolic rate and things like that as well. So, so yeah, about for that population, I'd say 16 to 1800 calories. Yeah. yeah. So your, your undergrad seems like you're kind of more working on refining those equations for different populations, if I'm kind of interpreting yeah, correctly. Right? Exactly. Just yeah. seeing like in the nutrition field and my uh, mentor was uh, Dr. Andrew Jagum, who did his PhD in um, at Texas A&M on creatine with, in the Dr. Kreider lab, who's like okay. big creatine researcher. Yeah. He's like a, um, Dr. Jagum is more like a sports nutrition kind of guy. So mm-hmm. he wanted to see what equations would be most beneficial for what populations awesome. type of thing. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of, I'm assuming that sort of carried you into your master's. Yes. Yeah. Right. Where exactly. you went to Florida State. Yep. Go, go Seminoles. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's Florida State was kind of a last minute thing. So I was actually in between uh, University of Texas um, in Austin and uh, Florida State with Dr. Mike Ormsby, who's pretty big in the um, in the sports nutrition field and things like that. I think he just won the NSCA Outstanding Researcher of the Year award this year. Oh um, wow! Yeah, that's a, no, that's he's a, a pretty big accolade. Yeah, there. he's a good guy. Uh, good guy to learn from. Really, just a down to earth, fun guy. Great, great uh, mentor. But he. Um, there, I worked at a lab called the Institute of Science and Sports Medicine, or the ISSM. Um, there, we it was a dual major in sports nutrition, ex-phys, um, so kept that nutrition side going. There's not a lot of programs in the country that kind of coincide with uh, nutrition and exercise. They're mm-hmm. always in different departments, or which, they don't collab. Which is weird, because nutrition and exercise are directly related Right. Because your nutrition can affect your performance. And right. also, like, everyone out there is always, seems like they're trying to lose weight. Like, that paired with exercise, proper diet with exercise, is how to properly go about that. So it's kind exactly. of weird that there's never really a collab program like that. Or it's very rare. Yeah, I think there's, like, three that. or five of those programs that, like, actually are integrated with each other. So Florida State was one of them. That was a big reason why I went there. Um my dis or my thesis there was in ultra endurance uh, runners or ultra endurance triathletes um, doing a thing called the Florida Ultraman. Mm-hmm. We looked at sleep um, and some immune markers with that, and it was kind of like a dual project with another master's student, um, and he looked at gut inflammation and things like that. Um, so we looked at kind of like how sleep affected performance with ultra marathoning or ultra triathletes and stuff like that. So, so I'm just curious, like, what, do you remember what you kind of found with that or? Um, yeah. So it was a three day ultra endurance triathlon. So okay. it was day one was like a 10 K swim and a 70 K bike. Uh, day two was like a 276 kilometer bike and day three was a double marathon. So. Um, we looked at like sleep in between, um, in between like sessions. Cause you, that's such a rare thing when it comes to sleep and performance that you actually have a multitude, like multi-day event with sleep in between. So other things like track of track, like, um, invitationals and swimming invitationals, you kind of have that thing. So that's where, it, uh, kind of, um, transitions or can be like related to that, but we didn't find a ton, um, 
sleep beforehand seemed to like obviously affect uh, performance after, but how much of that was like compounding factors of like, there's been research showing that um, like adenosine buildup in the brain causes um, greater like amount of sleep depending on different waves of sleep and stuff like that. So ATP breakdown throughout the day is kind of what they're thinking causes that sensation of tiredness along with circadian rhythm of like the, the sun and the light and everything like that. So um, we didn't find a ton. Actually, I've been really like bad at getting it published. I'm still <laughs> doing edits on it right now. So that's three years ago and that's yeah. like on my agenda to finish that. That's so. okay. I'm still working on publishing my, my dissertation research and I yeah. finished up over a year ago. Just, right. For those who aren't aware, like in the research field, it takes a long time to, from start to finish for a research project. It, it takes a while. Like, I mean, your master's thesis, you probably started that, developing that, you know, soon after you got right. to Florida State. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, you finish your data collection, but then after that, you know, period, you still have to go and get it published you have to write the manuscript and exactly writing manuscript is not easy (laughs) it takes a little bit longer than i care to admit but like in that uh that was a nice thing about florida state it wasn't just that we had a ton of different studies going on at the same time like we just published something on um it was a collaboration between the textiles department actually it was on like thermal regulation and um, firefighter turnout gear um, it was just published like this week. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. It's always but, a nice thing to have an article published. Right, exactly. So it was like from textiles to um, we did like lipolytic rate in uh, a supplement called UCAN. It's like a slow digesting starch. And okay. Yeah. It, so we looked at that uh, in like high level runners and that was a, a technique that I didn't personally get to use. I was around it, but the PhD students there uh, used it more. It was called uh, microdialysis, which okay. you basically put two probes in like adipose tissue and you like pump in, uh, they're two pumps and they pump in saline um, and the saline like flows out and then you collect like glycerol and fatty acids and then look okay. at the lipolytic rate um, okay. with that, which is a little weird because as exercise like increases the lipolysis occurs but it doesn't really like go into the bloodstream as much because like yeah. shunting of blood and stuff like that so uh, we, we did it while they were exercising um, so we were just looking at the like the lo- the localized like lipolytic rate and whether those like glycerol and fatty acids were going to be used as metabolites uh, yeah potentially but depending on blood flow like unsure so yeah. well, yes it's really cool and then you somehow after your master's ended up here at UNC yeah and you found yourself researching cannabis yeah so um cannabis like has been on and off like my life since college you know how college goes um so I was using it during exercise um more during rather than after for Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people like the cannabis uh or the CBD or whatever that whatever they're their preferred mechanism of consumption is uh, they usually like it post for like recovery and things yeah. like that, uh, just a relaxation. But I always found it 
was better for me during or just before, which is a little bit weird, but I know a lot of people yeah. like enjoy that. You yeah. personally. Right? I, I, I mean, I'll say like I, I used to do it even mm-hmm. now, like from time to time, like during quarantine, I got a Peloton bike at home. I'll just, I'll light up a joint and I'll, <laughs> I'll go do a Peloton workout and it feels great. Like sometimes right. you just, you need that little extra motivation. We've actually done research here at UNC and we found that, you know, like you said, People are using it after, but they're also using it before and during as well right. for that motivation. Because, you know, as I'm sure everyone listening to, like, if you're going to the gym, sometimes you just, you don't want to go. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you just don't have it. Yeah. And that was a big reason why I was using it. Uh, sometimes for the motivation, but I was a endurance athlete my whole life, swimming and stuff like that. And, or whether it was running or swimming, you can get what they call that runner's high or you get in that zone of like the higher high to moderate intensity exercise and you're just kind of in that zone i personally felt that uh with marijuana consumption prior to exercise it was easier for me to get into that zone okay how it affects heart rate and like respiration rate and stuff is still something i'm like interested in looking Mm -hmm. at for sure because uh could it be a performance increase uh, like an enhancement in performance maybe i wouldn't say specifically but uh, we don't know like who knows but it's kind of interesting you mentioned the heart rate thing because there's a decent amount of research out there that has shown that the ingestion of cannabinoids can actually increase heart rate through you know removal of vagal tone and Mm -hmm. whatnot but then i think there's actually i forget the name of the research article came out but i think it came out last week or something like that but found that those effects actually dissipated after um, about two, three weeks okay. of continued use. I think that was specific to CBD though. Okay. But like you said, like we, we still don't know if it is performance enhancing or if it's just kind of a mental thing. And I feel like that's something we've kind of been in the process of trying to answer Yeah. while we're here at UNC. I mean, we'll get into your dissertation project a little bit more uh, in depth here in a little bit, but you know, you're going to be doing one of the first like performance kind of exercise type related studies where you're actually administering a product and then kind of observing over a long period of time. Right. Which is something that we've been working towards where, you know, everything that we've had in UNC so far, it's more kind of observational. Mm-hmm. And now I think it's be really cool to kind of see what the results of your dissertation, you know, might yeah here in a a year and a half or so definitely see if it does affect uh performance or something like that we're not looking specifically at um like performance measures we're not looking at like 5k or 10k time or something like that but just overall in general like adaptations to a a moderate to high like cbd dose over a longer period of time see how it affects exercise how it affects the immune system and everything like that yeah well i guess while we're on it you know i guess you being a third year PhD student, that's kind of the next big step for you because within the past week, you just finished up your oral comprehensive exam. Yeah, thank God. That is a experience to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Just to kind of give you all some perspective, basically you're in a room of four very knowledgeable, very kind of experienced professors and researchers. Experts in their own field. Yeah, experts yeah. in their field that you typically, as a student, admire. Or at mm-hmm. least I know for my committee, that's kind of yeah, you know, definitely. what it was. And they're sitting down and they're grilling you for two hours straight. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're 
they're pushing you to your limit to see how much you know about your area of expertise right. um, and offering insight and clarification at the same time. So you finish that, yeah. you passed, you're good to go. And good so the go. next thing on the docket for you is the dissertation. Yep. Right? And so do you want to kind of give us some insight onto what you might be looking at for your dissertation? Yeah. I think you have a you have a pretty solid idea. Yeah. That right? Yeah. So what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at previously trained individuals. So we were thinking potentially maybe the CrossFit community just because they are a high exercising group um, who know usually they love to talk about it, right? So yeah. they know um, how like their volume and everything like that. So we can have something uh, something on paper to determine like physical activity level and things like that um, who have been previously um, naive to any cannabis or CBD. So usually about a, we're going to do about a six week washout period um, okay. with that high amount of exercise and uh, physical activity level and it being stored in the adipose tissue um, we will also have a body composition um, cut off just to make sure that that six weeks is mm -hmm. enough time for that total washout period so they're yeah. naive to that cannabis and that cbd um, so we're going to take that population and they're going to continue to exercise throughout the eight weeks and we're going to administer 50 milligrams of CBD every day about an hour before they go to bed. Okay. Um, so with that, what we're going to be looking at is um, immune function in with CBD because a lot of immune cells, as you know, have that CB2 receptor, um, mm -hmm. which is where CBD potentially works through. Um, yeah, there's some confounding research yeah. with that if it's an allosteric like uh, activator inhibitor of that CB2 receptor. So yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Obviously, that's what research is for. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be administering that on, and we're going to be drawing blood three to four times, looking at, we're going to be extracting their natural killer cells, which are used for type one immune responses. So like viral or um, extra, small extracellular um, or small intracellular infections and things like that. Um, and they can basically tell your cells to kill themselves, right? That's yeah. kind of the idea of it. Um, so what we're gonna be looking at in the NK cells is the how the f eight weeks of CBD administration is going to affect uh, their cytotoxicity. So how well they are at killing, we're gonna look at, um, we're gonna culture them with cancer cells, K562 uh, leukemia cells to okay. see if that enhances it, so potentially, you never know, CBD could yeah. be beneficial for um, like potentially killing cancer cells. I know you yeah. kind of did some work with like cancer cells and yeah. monocytes, right? Or yeah, uh, not monocytes. We I did some preliminary stuff with um, two different types of breast cancer cells. Um, there was a more of a basal versus a luminal type of breast cancer. Okay, there's kind of differences between those and. We administered what would be, at the time, we weren't able to use you know CBD or THC or anything like that. Right. So we used a, a CB1 um, slash CB2 agonist. Mm -hmm. And we found that it was interesting that in the basal type of cancer cells, it increased apoptosis, so that cell-related death. Mm -hmm. um, so it had a positive effect on it. Okay. But then in that luminal type of cancer, it actually increased 
the rate of proliferation and the number of kind of cancer cells that were in there. So okay, there seems like there was kind of a you know a dyad of an effect there, and right. there's a ton of cannabis and you know cancer research out there. Some mm-hmm. is good, some not so good. Right, um, a lot of it's in cell cultures, but yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see for your natural killer cells like mm-hmm. does cbd enhance your function does it suppress it or is there no change at all like right uh, i mean i feel like in science we get so focused on you know looking for significant results like does right. it increase does it decrease but still the findings of it's not having an effect mm-hmm. would be beneficial especially for the athletic population because you're like oh you know cbd isn't affecting you know the natural natural killer cells ability to detect and you know increase their cytotoxicity right that that's a good thing like i don't have to worry about having suppression or something like that which i think is a really kind of cool you know potential outcome from your research definitely yeah whether it's significant or not like it's it'll be cool to see what happens because we're going to use the um the subject groups that have been you know, obviously administered CBD for a while, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to um, extract some of their NK cells and I'm going to co-culture with CBD itself to see if there's a direct effect of mm-hmm. CBD. So uh, we will kind of get some uh, ex vivo kind of results to look at how they work in culture with CBD, how they just work in general without the administration of CBD in culture, but having that longer term or that chronic usage of CBD and like you said about the immune suppression, um, I think in 2018 there is a review that is was kind of debunking the J-curve effect of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that immune suppression and like if CBD could alter that immune suppression, like like you were saying, like that could be a beneficial thing for spe- specifically like the traveling athlete, someone yeah. who maybe has a problem with their immune system based on that like loss of sleep over the cross-country flight or something like that Mm -hmm. so who knows what could come out of it so yeah i think it's kind of a really interesting point you make there on you know the the immune function of an athlete traveling or sleep whatnot Mm -hmm. those aren't typically things when we're talking about athletes that we're considering when we're discussing their performance at least for the general Right. person but those are things that can heavily impact performance and health of that individual and definitely their ability to train how tired they are the next day yeah anxiety. even like mental function yeah, yeah like you said anxiety like lack of sleep has been shown to increase all those things as we know as you of being a past phd student <laughs> yeah. me being a current like you know that you know when you're not sleeping sometimes you just wake up and like they say you're on the wrong side of the bed all day you yeah. just have like bad thoughts anxiety like it's just not a great situation so if cbd could potentially benefit that too you never yeah. know or i'm curious are you gonna be like looking at anxiety or anything like that over that yeah eight week period that you're administering it yep so we're going to be doing um different uh, mental health markers so one of our other phd students victoria mm-hmm. um she will be administering more of the mental health side of some things so anxiety um potential depression rates. We have a um, actigraphy band as well. So we're going to be measuring sleep as well as activity level um, of these participants. So taking it like an hour before bed, we'll be able to see 
if sleep is increased or decreased or uh, potentially the types of sleep. I'm not 100% sure if these bands like will give you slow wave sleep and like the different stages and REM and stuff like that. But yeah. um, we're also gonna have them do subjective sleep markers. So how well they think they sleep because that's another side of it. Like if you yeah. think you slept better, like there's always placebo effect. So it could be beneficial in that sense. So. And as you know, in the CBD industry, there's a lot of like sleep CBD products that claim to be beneficial for sleep, but yeah. it's all anecdotal. Like, have yeah. you taken CBD before you sleep? Yeah, yeah. I, I take it before I sleep, almost on a nightly basis. Right, and you think you do, like you think that, all right, I sleep better, right? Yeah. But realistically, so one thing that I really found interesting was there's some research on alcohol and cannabis prior to sleep and the way that the sleep cycle works is you go stage one two and then three four which is they call it recovery sleep or slow yeah. wave sleep where it's more of the physiological benefits mm -hmm. so you go stage one two three four and then four three two one once you hit one you go into that REM sleep and yeah. REM sleep or rapid eye movement is where you get that uh, neurological like not adaptation some adaptation i guess it's where long-term like memory starts to come into play yeah. and just like the neural recharge basically yeah. of sleep. And what they're finding is at a normal sleep, just without any supplements or alcohol or anything, you have that normal progression. You have that normal um, architecture of sleep, they call it. But with cannabis and with alcohol, you may pass out right away, but that architecture actually changes. Mm -hmm. So you, your REM sleep changes. You may not even get into REM sleep until that alcohol gets through your system or the cannabinoids kind of get metabolized. So yeah. you may think that, oh, wow, I, I fell asleep right away. I got eight hours of sleep, but is it beneficial for your neurological like benefits of sleep? Yeah. Potentially not. So that's another thing where CBD may be beneficial yeah. or it could be like canvas where it doesn't uh where it does change that architecture yeah. so and, who knows and I, there's not a ton of research out there on it but i know that there have been some studies that have compared you know the sleep cycle progression of thc mm -hmm. heavy cannabis versus cbd heavy cannabis and yeah what they saw was that with the thc heavy cannabis like you said they you feel like you are falling asleep faster mm -hmm. but the quality of the sleep that sleep architecture is different than when you weren't using that. So exactly. it's not reflective of normal sleep pattern. CBD, while it doesn't appear that it makes you fall asleep faster, mm -hmm. there's a couple of studies out there that suggest it has a more natural sleep architecture to it when you're taking it, but we still don't know what that dosing is like. Like how much do I need to be taking bef before bed right. in order to get that benefit or is they're kind of a sweet spot where like, oh, let's say I take 50 milligrams, I get that benefit, but mm -hmm. I take 100 and it's disrupted or five and it's disrupted. Like we, right. we don't know. We have no idea. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the, I think the most exciting part about this field is that it's all untapped, right? Yeah. So we have the potential of making discoveries or making benefits, beneficial discoveries for people with uh, sleep, like insomniacs or something mm -hmm. like that, or um, people post-exercise or who exercise too late because there's been some really interesting research where they, it's like a sleep lab and they'll inject 
IL-6 into people right before they go to bed and that changes sleep architecture. Yeah. So that's why they say like, don't exercise within four hours of, um, of going to sleep because your sleep architecture can change. Yeah. Um, so potentially maybe if you are an athlete that, you know, two days being a swimmer, like you had early morning workouts, sometimes you had late yeah. night workouts, things like that. Your IL-6 is hard just from muscular contraction. You have that yeah. increase in IL-6. Is that affecting sleep architecture? And if we get the CBD dosing right, could we potentially change that sleep architecture to make it more beneficial for yeah. that athlete for the recovery yeah. process yeah, or something like I mean, that? Like you just mentioned, you were a collegiate swimmer and mm. I'm sure you had probably a workout in the morning, right? And yep. then a later evening like after kind of classes started to settle down, probably yeah. another workout, whether it was in the pool or weights or something like that. Exactly. So I'm sure you probably would have killed to have something that could help you sleep a little bit better. Yeah. That's kind of more natural rather than having to work, rely on sleeping pills or anything like that. Exactly. So that's exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very excited about the dissertation idea because there's mm -hmm. a lot of potential routes it could take, whether it's um, immune function, which I'm most interested in, or the performance benefits, recovery benefits, like CBD is an untapped, untapped field, and I'm really excited yeah. to just get it started. So. Yeah, I think and it's very similar why I kind of am so excited and trying to stay within the CBD cannabis field is because, like you said, it's, it's untapped. You basically mm -hmm. think of a study and never been done before never been let's done go before, which yeah. can be frustrating at times because there's no other research to base your project off of but then at the same time you're also going to be putting some of like the most novel research out there right. in that field which i think is is really cool so we'll definitely be kind of following up i'm sure maybe we'll do another episode after you finish your yeah your dissertation phd we'll discuss the results of that um that'll be what like a a little over a year from yeah, now. Yeah, probably, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed, a little over a year. Yeah, yeah. we'll see if uh, COVID has anything to say about that and then just the re normal research process. But Definitely. Yeah, we'll definitely follow up um, with your dis dissertation just because it is so intriguing. Yeah. Um, and we'll definitely be curious to kind of see what those results are. And then at the same time, you're also doing an internship with Six Degrees Wellness yep. right now, which is a hemp-derived CBD company. Um, and you're helping with kind of analysis of different types of third-party tested CBD products, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is surprisingly the results that we're seeing preliminary, like in the preliminary, yeah. uh, results and statistical say, analysis. It, it's not published yet. It, Correct. We're in the process of preparing this for publication. Exactly. So those results will be kind of available soon, but we'll kind of give you a little sneak peek. Yeah, on a little teaser. Yeah, exactly, on what we're kind of finding so far. So why don't you kind of dive into that? Yeah, so of like about 120 um, CBD products that are publicly available with it, with hemp, the Farm Bill and hemp being uh, federally legal, like you can yeah. get them online. Um, from those about 120 products, uh, we looked at the certificate of analysis. So the CBD content of their products, what they claim is in the product, any residual solvents, any microbial contaminations, any pesticide contaminations, any heavy metal contaminations. Uh, we're looking at all that and just determining what products are A, within the 
the realm of what they claim to be. So if they claim that each mint or each chocolate has five milligrams of CBD, based on the certificate of analysis, how close or how accurate yeah. is that product, right? Like are, basically, are you getting what you pay for? Exactly. Are you getting more? Is it maybe contaminated with THC or some of those other solvents and microbials that you're kind of talking about? Right, right. And that's a huge, I guess, concern for everybody taking CBD. It should be, at least if it's yeah. not. Especially wait till this gets published like yeah. it should be because... You can get CBD at gas stations in the middle of nowhere, or you can get a CBD from... Yeah, side note, don't buy your CBD at gas stations. Yeah, try not to buy your CBD don't from do gas that. stations. It's, odds are, if you're paying like $15 for it, it's probably not high quality. So Right, exactly. And this research just kind of further cements that. Yeah, exactly. So we're seeing that of the like 120 certificate of analysis, a very little percentage of those COAs or certificate of analyses are actually valid. So yeah. they uh, are testing the product that they say they're testing, or um, they have just general, I guess that would be a time to, what would be like, uh, what like determines of quality of the certificate of analysis? So kind of the, the big kind of points are, you know, was it third, was it truly a third party? So. Mm -hmm. Did they do the testing in-house or did they send it to another place like Bo Botanicor or Proverde or something like right. that to do that assessment? Um, that's what, if it's out of house, that kind of what constitutes a third party mm -hmm. tested. Um, and then if it's specific to that product, so do the batch lot numbers match up? Is it for, like, let's say you're testing tinctures, but you have four different flavors of tinctures. Mm -hmm. Do you have a certificate of analysis for all four of those different flavors, or is it just your general flavor and then you're using that for all four? Because technically, that certificate of analysis is only good for the flavor that the product was, right. not the other ones. Um, and then there's you know a couple other things in there too. Mm -hmm. You know, was it for the bulk extract? Or right. Not? So odds are, like, if you see a COA that has higher than 90 percent mm -hmm. cbd for its cannabinoid content odds are that's typically bulk extract so you kind of had that flow chart you went through all those different products and you said you found like what almost half yeah about invalid. half had uh invalid certificate of analyses so as a consumer that's relatively frightening because you could if you want a high quality cbd product you can go online you can look at all these companies and they're all saying, oh, we have third party tested, like it's a pure product. But then if you scratch the surface just a little bit, like you can see that, well, this isn't even for the same product. This is for a bulk extract rather yeah. than this. Like it's a little bit scary just to see that A, there's no real FDA like... Um, there's no stringent regulation. Right, yeah. no regulations for these CBD products. So that's why you can buy them at gas stations versus buy them a high quality product. Exactly. Um, and it's just, it's a little bit scary for the consumer because realistically you have no idea what you're putting into your body. Some of the certificate of analyses indicate uh, heavy metal concentrations, yeah. heavy metal of cadmium and arsenic, which are generally like people know that those are bad for you like, like we're we're so concerned about like lead in our tap water like there could potentially be lead in your cbd exactly it, it's one of those things like you need to know at least i feel like we want to know what we're putting into our body to make sure that it's high quality so there's no residual health effects or anything like that right exactly so. especially in the population that's taking cbd 
usually those types of people, and I don't want to generalize here, but usually those types of people are the people that want to say eat more organic or do mm -hmm. more grass fed yeah. stuff. They're more natural, yeah. holistic types of people. That's why they're taking CBD, say for sleep or recovery, rather than yeah. ibuprofen and sleep medication, yeah, stuff totally. like that. So if this those same types of people are looking to take CBD, they wouldn't want to find out that they have lead or arsenic or uh, certain pesticides in their CBD products. So that's why it's so important for this these this type of research and these types of certificate of analysis um, determination is so important for these these people because general population doesn't know how to find the right information that yeah. they're looking for. Yeah, right? I mean, you know, you could have someone off the street and hand them a certificate of analysis and be like, you know tell me what your takeaway is this and be like, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Here. Right. Like what are these percentages, you know, milligrams per, you know, liter or milliliter, whatever it is, like right. however they're reporting in the certificate, like the general population doesn't know how to interpret that. And there's some CBD companies out there. I'm not going to name any names or anything like that, but they're taking advantage of that. You know, we found you, you were saying, that, you know, there's some that were up to like, you know, containing, twice as much CBD as they had claimed on the label yeah. or half as much CBD. Like, so you're not necessarily getting what you pay for. No. And you also said you found some that were contaminated with THC. Yeah. Right? So if you're worried about a drug test, like a lot of people, maybe the sleep benefit, maybe they used to take, used to smoke pot or use cannabis for sleep benefits, whether those are true or not. Like, yeah they needed to go change jobs where they're regularly tested for uh, cannabis or mm -hmm. THC. If you're taking a CBD product that's hot for THC, you're going to run into a huge problem. Yeah. So like and this is just unacceptable for these good. companies to not have the purity that they claim that they do. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, thinking of like, there's a lot of individuals that take it for anxiety in the morning. Like if you're taking a product that's hot for THC, you get high, you get behind the wheel, that that could have some pretty serious consequences definitely you know that's it's still illegal to drive under the influence yeah. of cannabis and they don't really care if the thc is coming from cbd or not no they're still gonna you know hold you accountable for that so exactly it's just you know even as someone that has been in the cbd industry for a while now like it the results that we found were still surprising i was telling you this like i didn't expect to see what we saw like no we I think we went through the list of the 120 some different products and it was like what two or three had coas for you know microbials solvents heavy metals and pesticides like yeah. the four main things that these companies will test for to that could be potentially harmful for human human consumption only like three or four products of 120 actually tested for all four of those criteria yeah so and I think you found the majority, like, you know what, something 75 to almost 90% were not testing, or at least not, maybe they did test, but they weren't providing them online for those contaminants like my, microbes and heavy metals and right. pesticides and whatnot, which I think that's important to kind of show, it, even for the layperson, like, they can read through that, and that's fairly intuitive to understand if you see, you know, a status of passing or failing yeah. for heavy metals like, you know, arsenic or cadmium or yeah. whatnot, or 
you know, I don't want E. coli. No, no, definitely not. You know, we got enough to worry about with coronavirus. I don't want to throw E. coli on top of that. Seriously. E. coli outbreak. So I think it was really kind of eye-opening on, it kind of is almost like the Wild West where you don't really know what you're getting unless you kind of dive into that a little bit further. Right. think was eye-opening for you as someone who is maybe considering you know the industry route at some point in your life yeah you know, I think you know we talked you're kind of looking more at the postdoc route at this point in time right but you know I, I think you know when I was in your position like mm-hmm. I, I had no idea about this stuff and so like trying to even illuminate you know researchers more about that yeah you know I think is really interesting especially in you know, labs like yourself that are actually going to be administering CBD, it's something important to kind of take into consideration <laughs> if you're going to be putting any un- undue harm to your participants or whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. So. And like the industry route, you said I was more focusing on a postdoc at this point, And a lot of that is just for like general health of the, of the human, like yeah. human being, right? Like you, everybody <laughs> wants to have, make their beneficial mark on human yeah. health and function and things like that but i didn't originally see industry as that but as i get more into the the flawed testing and the the fake or the the kind of quote-unquote lies of some of the products of cbd false advertising false advertising Yeah. yeah exactly it it opens the door of being like well i could still potentially have those benefits and make that mark in a in industry as well so yeah it's definitely opened my eyes and considering more of those doors being a little bit more open so yeah 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 so you are currently considering kind of going the postdoc route right are you wanting to stay within the realm of cannabis i know you were saying you kind of want to stay more on the you know smaller molecular cellular side of things right you know maybe go into more on immune function or Mm -hmm. cancer something like that is that something that's kind of like a make or break for you at this point in time? Or are you kind of looking just for more research experience to kind of yeah. broaden things out? I would say more research experience is more what I'm looking for. I, I love the immunology side of it. I love the genetic side of it. That's like the mm-hmm. big uh, kicker for me. If I could start getting into a postdoc where I'm doing more of those molecular genetics-based work, um, the Nobel Prize was just awarded to the designer of CRISPR. So um, like, I think that idea is a spectacular, like progress progression forward in general human, like human health, I guess, like the potential for solving those uh, smaller diseases. Like I think sickle cell anemia is like a one single base pair, like uh, mutation. So you could potentially go in and solve those things. And I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy the genetics-based uh, research side of things. So that's kind of where I'm looking to go towards, whether that's in cannabis or in immunity or something like that. It's more of my uh, make or break is the yeah. the research techniques and ideas that I'll be getting yeah. experience. So it necessarily doesn't have to be cannabis-related. Right. If it is, great. If yeah. not, you're more kind of concerned about broadening your scope or your toolbox as a researcher exactly and getting more experience in that and then whatever you want to apply that to after that postdoc right you can run wild with it however you want to incorporate to your previous researcher that's exactly uh, what i'm hoping yeah, for yeah just because as you know like we're exercise physiologists or that's where our main degree was from so that's very applied mm-hmm. in the 
form of science, right? Yeah. So it's human beings, like big picture type of thing. And I really want to be able to bridge that gap of applied molecular, right? We can do anything in with a cell culture. We can yeah. make them do whatever we want, basically. But applying that to the human population is where the research kind of falls off, or that's the hardest bridge to get. Yeah. That's the hardest gap to, to connect. So yeah. that's kind of what I'm looking for in the real molecular-based work to be able to potentially bridge that gap between applied and molecular, yeah. so. Because, I mean, it, that's kind of the big thing, just like the cannabis and the CBD research world right now is mm -hmm. a lot of people and companies are making claims that CBD does this, CBD does that, it's anti-cancer. It's like, well, that was in cell cultures. And right. that's not directly applicable to a human population. Not there's, at all. There's a reason clinical research is so highly valued mm -hmm. among researchers, especially such as ourselves. Right. Because that's what matters the most. You know, we're doing those cell culture studies in order to kind of get some preliminary evidence to see what might be happening there, make sure it's not, you know, totally fatal. You know, right. Typically, the progression is cells, animals, humans. Yeah. And it takes a lot to do those human studies and it takes a lot to do them well right and i think you know and you can probably test this too especially getting your dissertation kind of going and you'll be doing your review of literature and whatnot like it's gonna be tough to find you know good quality clinical trials clinical data to kind of support your hypotheses right on so definitely yeah i mean especially with it being such a new field like the clinical research in CBD, though, there's some of it. It's mainly on like epileptics and things yeah, like that. Yeah. So, but like healthy general population, it's yeah, it's relatively yeah. tough to find those clinical research. Even it's tough to find the molecular research too. Yeah. So it's like we said earlier, it's just an untapped field. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like you said, the majority of the clinical research is for the PDLX, which is an FDA FDA approved. Uh, purified pharmaceutical grade CBD that's in, right. I think it's sesame seed oil or something like that. And that's for um, LGS and DS syndromes, which are forms of like early onset treatment resistant epilepsy mm -hmm. in adolescence. But that healthy population, there's really no one doing that. So that's what's kind of, again, going back to your dissertation study, what's going to be so cool about that is it's one of the very few studies at that point in time that's going to be in a healthy, active population right. and looking at parameters of health and immune function. Mm -hmm. So we'll get some really great insight from that. Definitely. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. But is there anything else you kind of want to add in before we end things up here? I always like to kind of, I feel like we kind of addressed it pretty well, you know, what you might think some of the inadequacies or, you mm -hmm. know, gaps we still have to fill in. Obviously, there's a lot within the world of CBD, but yeah. Is there anything that you're kind of burning to kind of see kind of come more prevalent in like CBD cannabis related research or? Uh, I mean, like we talked about just research in general. On yeah. It. Like we need so many people are like using marijuana or using CBD. Like it just the studies need to get out there and potentially like show the the harm or the benefit to these yeah, things. We, we need to know both. Right. Exactly. Like you can there's always you've probably talked to your fair share of people who use marijuana and they claim to you that, Oh, it's not affecting my lungs. It's yeah. like, you're still smoking. Yeah, like it's definitely affecting you're your still lungs. Smoking. I mean, even in our lab, we found evidence before that it can potentially alter BDNF. It can right. potentially alter 
markers of immune function, monocyte population. Exactly. You know, we need to know these things so when people are using them, they can make those better informed decisions or say for like physicians, there's this explosion in people wanting to try more medical cannabis or yeah. more, you know, natural therapeutic options like hemp-derived CBD. Right. These doctors have nothing to go off of. No, right now and they're just they, prescribing it. Yeah. And a lot of people like who are prescribed this medical marijuana, for example, like, yeah, you can take it in edibles, you can take it in tinctures. There's a bunch of different um, vehicles to take this THC, but a lot of people just enjoy the flower behind it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, when when in the United States have doctors been prescribing to smoke something? You know yeah, what I mean? That's... Like, that's for as a like a, a researcher that blows my mind. Like, oh yeah, a doctor. Well, yeah, you can you can just smoke some marijuana. Yeah. It's like okay, you're damaging your lungs right there. Yeah. It's causing like chronic inflammation, yeah. depending on how much you use and yeah. things like that. So, yeah. and I think the big thing too is like how much, when, right? Do I need to do this every day? Do I need to do it every other day? Should I be smoking? Should I be ingesting? Like, yeah. And how much of that is actually getting into the system for both? you know, cannabis products and CBD products. Right, like, like how long does THC, how high does the THC content stay if you have some marijuana sitting fresh from the dispensary or three months from the dispensary? Yeah. Like does THC content decrease? Who knows? So yeah. is it the, still the same prescription? Is there a certain time of day you should be taking it for certain ailments? Like yeah. we have no idea. Yeah. So that's... That's what I want to see. I just want to yeah. see more research on it in yeah, general. I would, I would agree with you on that. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to sit down and no talk problem. with me. And, you know, I'm really kind of excited to see where your research is going and, you know, kind of see what the results of that are like. And hopefully, like we said, a little over a year from now, we can sit down again and follow up. I can call you Dr. Veselic. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> by then you can, yeah. Uh, I'll be able to call your doctor and we'll be able to hear about some of the interesting results from your dissertation and kind of where you're taking that next on yeah. this kind of phase of things. So Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for uh, the opportunity. It's always good to delay yeah. other work that I have to do and do yeah. something fun like this. So. Yeah, exactly. Just talk to me for 45 minutes or so. Thank you for listening to this week's episode with Jake and myself. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the research that Jake is currently involved in. Make sure to subscribe and enable notifications wherever you get your podcasts. That way you don't miss a single episode of the CBD Deep Dive. We've got a lot of good content coming up for you. Follow us on Twitter at CBD underscore deep underscore dive for the latest updates and to be in the loop on upcoming content. If you have any suggestions, feedback, or requests for future content, please reach out to me at johnny at sixdegreeswellness.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only. The information provided in these episodes is not meant to diagnose, treat, or mitigate any disease and does not support the efficacy of products from Six Degrees Wellness.